You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you. Excuse me. Thank you for that. And um, thank you to all of you uh, for your warmth and friendliness this week. It's, It's been great to be with you. Thankful for all for you. We, we really are grateful for our students at, at Asbury University. We're thankful for you and we're, we're really proud of you. So this morning I want to uh, turn our attention to one of the early Psalms and ask us to turn, if we will, uh, turn our attention to Psalm 16. Psalm 16 says, protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are the noble in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a good heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me because he is my right hand I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, my soul rejoices, my body also will rest secure. For you do not give me up to Sheol, or let your faithful ones see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The psalmist begins this with an interesting claim. He says, apart from you, I have no good thing. I have nothing good apart from you. Recall, though, the very first section of the very first book of the Bible. The created... we, there we read in Genesis 1, the creation account, and we see this refrain over and over again. God saw it, and it was good. God saw it, and it was good. God saw it, and it was good. And here the psalmist says, apart from you, I have no good thing. I don't think in any sense he's denying the truth that's taught in Genesis 1. That created that creation is good, that the created order is a good thing. It's a gift from God and to be received as such with gratitude. What he's saying is, apart from you, I have no good thing. Apart from you, these good things are meaningless. Apart from you, there's nothing to it. Apart from you, all these good things turn out to be empty. Apart from you, What is it? There is no good, no good thing apart from you. Notice the ultimacy of this claim. 
He says there is nothing good apart from the giver. No good gift apart from the one who gives. No ultimate good apart from God. And he says, I will seek my good in you. This is as Dr. Dennis Kinlaw, who preached hundreds, probably thousands of times from this very place, he for whom the library is named. As he once said, he says, I see no clearer statement of God's sanctifying power anywhere in the Old Testament than right here. Because this is the heart of the person who says, God, that might be okay, that might be good, but if it's not what you have for me, it's not good. Apart from you, I have no good thing. So what he's saying is, is apart from God, nothing is going to be ultimately good. And as we'll also see, what he's saying is, with God, I have all the goodness I need. Notice that when he says, apart from you, I have no good thing, he does follow this with a contrast. And the contrast is with idolatry. He says, those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. And then this kind of, to us, strange and really graphic language shows up. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out. What's he talking about here? He's talking about idolatry. And he's talking about the oppression that always comes with idolatry. It's interesting that the Hebrew phrase here doesn't match up exactly with our English translations. Our English translations almost uniformly add a word. It's those who choose another God. But the word God doesn't actually show up in the Hebrew text. It's just those who choose another, those who choose something else. Now, I have no doubt he's talking about idolatry, so it's not a bad decision of the translators to go ahead and fill that in for us. That's fine. But it is also, as it actually stands, the text is a reminder that idolatry is bigger than worship of a carved piece of rock or a carved piece of wood. Idolatry turns out to be anything, as the psalm actually says, anything other. That is, anything, even things that would be good, that we put before God, that we, put, that we prioritize over God. So the warning here is that idolatry can show up in good things as well. And the warning that goes with it is that in every case where there's idolatry, it's accompanied by oppression. And this is that sort of, I mean, it's, it's to our modern, you know, 21st century Western ears, it's kind of weird language. Their libations of blood, as the NIV puts it, or their drink offerings of blood. What is that? Oh, it's just, it's just sacrificing someone else, that's all. And this is a reminder that idolatry and oppression go together. It's just so easy to fall prey to the temptation to think, my sins hit me, and that's it. This is my business and no one else. I'll have my own little pet idols in my life, usually revolving in our world or something around money, sex, and power. Almost always something to do with money, sex, and power. 
but I'll have my little idols. I'll hold mine. And if it affects me, that's my business. This psalm reminds us of what a lie that is. Idolatry produces oppression. Let me just be really blunt. Our sins crush people. Our lust, our greed, our arrogance, our pride, our wrath, our self-righteousness crushes someone else. What the psalmist is saying is really sobering. It's calling us to reflect on this and say, if I'm going to put something else in my life before God, if I'm going to make an idol out of something, out of anything other good, otherwise good, who am I willing to sacrifice to make this happen? Because make no mistake, the psalmist says, someone else is going to hurt. Idolatry and oppression, they go together, they go together, they go together. Someone suffers for your sin. Someone will be sacrificed so you can have your way. Someone is going to be hurt. Someone else is going to be crushed so that you can do what you want to do. And the psalmist sees that. He recognizes that. He stands back from that and he turns from that and he says, no. He turns and says, in you, Lord, I seek refuge. Not in that. He says, I won't go that way. I won't do those things. I won't put any other God before the Lord. He recognizes that to do that is going to cost someone else. To do that is going to hurt someone else. And he says, in you, Lord, I take refuge. Because apart from you, I have no good thing. I have nothing good. So the psalmist says that this relationship with God is ultimate in his life. And that means no to idols, however subtle they may be, however tempting they may look. It's an awareness that our idolatry produces oppression, that our sins hurt other people that your sins will sacrifice someone else. And it's a recognition of that fact and a turn away from that and say, no, in you, Lord, I find refuge. In you, I have everything good. This is what he's talking about. This relationship with the Lord is ultimate. It's also deeply personal. He concludes the psalm with these words, You show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. The word that we get that gets translated presence is a, is a, powerful, it's a powerful way of speaking. It's the Hebrew term for face. It's a term of Intimacy. It's a term of closeness. 
You think how it is when someone touches your face? No one better touch my face unless they sort of have a reason to, right? Something either really bad is going on or something precious is happening. And the psalmist describes his relationship with the sovereign creator of the universe as someone who knows my face, someone whose face I see. What he's talking about this, with re, this relationship with the Lord is ultimate, but it's also deeply, richly, intensely personal. In your face, I find refuge. And what he's talking about, this relationship with God that is so good, apart from you, I have no good thing, and with you, I have everything good I need. It's something that the psalmist enjoys and relishes, knows is so rich and deep and real and powerful that it knows no limit and knows no end. Now what's really striking here is that he says, you will not give me up to, translations vary on this, won't give me up to Sheol, won't give me up to the place of the dead. What he's saying is that not even death is strong enough to somehow overcome the relationship that he has with God. Now notice what when this is being said. This isn't being said, say, after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus from the dead. We have these advantages that the psalmist didn't have. We live on this side of the glorious resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We can now say with St. Paul, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can say that. We should say that. Because we live on this side of the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and glorious ascension of our Lord. The psalmist didn't know all that. He didn't know any of that. All he knows is a relationship with the Lord that is so deep and intense and powerful and real that he knows that somehow not even our last enemy will get the final word. And this, brothers and sisters, is the life promised to all who belong to God. It's the life, it's the relationship promised to all who can say, apart from you, I have no good thing. But in you, there's goodness enough. This came home to me with some force. few years ago. I was um, serving as a pastor of a church in southwestern Michigan, and um, I just moved there after uh, serving as a pastor in south central Alaska. 
when we were in Alaska, we loved our time there. It was a great time. We uh, were in a church, and we were the I was the second pastor. It was a small church, a recent church plant. And we helped launch another church plant in neighboring city. And so these friends of ours had come, and they came with quite a bit of funding and great plans and a, and a, a, a big vision for reaching this, the area. And they set the plan in motion, and they, they got it ready, and they finally had their official launch service. And so we went to help them on their official launch service. And we're all excited. This is going to be a great thing. It's going to be a, a you know a wonderful church here in this part of, of this city that needs a church. And we were all excited about it. And we walked in and uh, helped them, you know, set up and arrange things and greet people. And and then their worship band started to play. And they led with a song I had never heard before. And a little ways into it, I was fine with never having heard it before. The song had these words. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. And then they sang it again. And I guess because they weren't sure we were getting the message, I think they went through it a third time. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Amen. And I have to admit that I remember thinking, first thought through my mind was, those are really good lyrics. There's a really good words in that song. Both of those words are good. <laughs> and then I, I, I was just like, oh my goodness. And I remember thinking, if this is the best they're going to do, this church is not going to get off the ground. And then I remember thinking, if this is all they're going to do, maybe this church shouldn't get off the ground. I just thought it was a, you know, a really weak song. And it's just so repetitive. And one of the verses goes, I'm trading my sorrows, I'm trading my shame, I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. I'm trading my sickness, I'm trading my pain, I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. And then here we go again. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Amen. And I was like, can we sing something else? I won't tell you everything I was thinking. It wasn't real pretty. I thought that was one of the worst church songs ever invented. And then we moved away. And we moved to Michigan. And um, I began pastoring a church in southwestern Michigan. And um, was able to repress my memory of that song. While in Michigan, we met uh, some friends and a young man named Travis. Travis was 15 when I met him, and he was struggling with cancer. He had just been diagnosed, and he was going in for treatment, and he was a, um, the treatment about wiped him out. He had to quit playing soccer. He lost all of his hair. He lost most of his muscle mass. He lost a lot of his energy. But he came through it. We all breathed a sigh of relief. We celebrated with the family. 
and we were rejoiced when we saw him regain some strength, regrow his hair, find his muscle mass, rejoin the soccer team. And then after a couple of years, he graduated high school and enrolled um, in a Christian college to, um, in preparation for youth ministry. At that time, we moved away. We moved from Western Michigan into Wisconsin. And then a few months later, we got one of those horrible phone calls you never want to get. And it was his sister telling us that the cancer was back. And she told us that the outlook was not good. We told them that we'd keep them in our prayers and to keep us updated. The next update came and said that his, his situation had taken a turn for the worse and that they were suspending treatments. The next update we got said that he was going downhill so fast that the family had canceled the last big family trip that they had always hoped for to take the entire family to Florida together. And then we got a call telling us that he was gone. So we loaded up that morning and drove from Wisconsin around the bottom of Lake Michigan, back up into, uh, into the state of Michigan. And we drove into the church parking lot and walked through the doors and immediately were greeted by his parents. And they told us that he had planned his own funeral service. With his pastor and youth pastor, he had planned the order of the service because he wanted it to be a testimony of the faithfulness of the Lord. We walked into the building filled with hundreds of people, friends, relatives, classmates, a packed sanctuary. And we sang a song that he had selected. And we stood together in hundreds of voices, singing it out in palpable hope. I'm trading my sorrows, I'm trading my shame, I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. I'm trading my sickness, I'm trading my pain, I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, 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 Lord, amen. I felt really small, by the way. Kind of ashamed of my earlier saltiness about that. But more importantly, I was overwhelmed with the, with the power of this hope.
the psalmist didn't have the empty tomb of Jesus. What the psalmist had was a relationship with the Holy One so strong, so rich, so intimate, so pure, that he knew that somehow nothing could beat it. And so he says, and so we say together, apart from you, Lord, I have no good thing. But with you, Lord, I have all everything needed for life and godliness. And to you, Lord, we say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes. Let us pray. Lord, apart from you, we do confess we have no good thing. With you, Lord, we exalt. We have everything needed for life and godliness. And to you, Lord, we say yes. Your yes is decisive. Your yes to us in our brokenness and sinfulness now enables our faint and feeble response. But that we give, Lord, yes, Lord, yes. Amen.